excellent day yesterday. Collaboration is one of our values, and to see eight churches in Auburn come together and serve. I want to give a shout out to the Bellevue College men's soccer team that also came down and served. We just all joined in together, and I received thank yous from Auburn Food Bank, and Debbie, and Young Life, and Susie, and Absolute, uh, which is recovery, and just a lot of uh, great stuff. Friendships growing in unity in Auburn, and it's not just an event. We want to do that every day of our lives where we live, work, learn, and play. Serving together, where's a need, let's step in together. And so we celebrate that and what God's doing. And with Grace Loves Auburn, this is an exciting update because we're doing things differently this year with COVID. And people are registering. There are already 168 families that have registered, and we're still two weeks away, which uh, speaks to the people and the needs and the people that are coming. How many people have been here for Grace Loves Auburn? By show of hands, all right, maybe about half. And this whole place is filled with supplies and resources, and then it goes overflow beyond that. And people can just come and receive anything they want and build relationships together. There are 70 people who have signed up to serve for Grace Loves Auburn, and I asked Joy how many we need. She said about 140, so it's great. We're halfway there, about 70 more people. If you have time on that Saturday, we won't have Saturday night service that week, but we'll just all gather on Sunday, and we look forward to it. That's two weeks away, uh, so keep that in prayer. Right now, we're in a series, The Joy of Serving, and one of the reasons we're highlighting this is because we don't just want to talk about serving like we actually want to serve, but it is good to study serving, to grow in our desire to serve together. Together, and we're taking a holistic view because serving involves many components. It involves our faith. It also involves growing and being stretched and risks. It involves our motives. It involves our talents and gifts. It involves taking action. There's a lot of components. It also involves our character. And that's an area we're going to highlight today as we look at the book of Jude. The book of Jude is near the end of your Bible. If you brought a Bible and want to open it up or on your phone, find it. It's right before the book of Revelation, which is the final book in the New Testament. Jude is just one chapter, and we've been looking at a lot of short books. Uh, This theme today in the book of Jude is guard your integrity. Guard your integrity. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you are good, that you are true, that you are loving, And God, we pray right now for your presence with the people in Haiti, with everything they're going through with this earthquake and grieving and mourning. And Lord, in their search to find people who are under the rubble, we pray that there would be rescues. God, we pray for the restoration process in that nation and for your provision. Father, guide us, whether it's needs there in Haiti or on our block, or maybe today, people sitting next to us. Let us be people who listen to you, are filled with your love, and make a difference in this world. We don't want to be passive, God. We want to step up in your strength, and we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever find it difficult to walk the walk of faith? Yes, isn't it easier just to describe it or read about it, analyze it? Isn't it a lot easier to tell someone else how they need to walk the walk of faith? I think it's easier to write about it or even make a video about it than to actually walk the walk of faith. And that challenge really drives us 
to abide with Jesus. Because that challenge is not a self-help challenge. That challenge is instead to be filled with God's presence, the Holy Spirit, and to have God do a deep work in our lives so that we don't get in the way a lot of times, but we trust him and we live out what we say we believe and the light of Jesus shines. This is Jude who's writing and he's a half-brother of Jesus. Jesus had two half-brothers who both wrote books in the Bible. That's James and Jude. And what's interesting is that in his own family, there was a lot of skepticism, some unbelief, Everyone in his family wasn't like, yes, here's the Messiah. We're following you, Jesus. In fact, there was tension at different points. And James is writing this. Later on, he realizes that his half-brother is the savior of the world. And now it's a heartfelt message that he's bringing. It's a timeless message. And this message is to contend for the faith and guard your integrity. He writes it with the heart of protecting. You know, protecting is serving. When there's someone you love, you really want to protect. And if there's something you love, you're going to guard and protect that. And what James is saying and what Jude is saying, they're both very practical, direct, kind of no-nonsense. Let's get right to it and let's just talk. And that's the tone of it. And it's this, guard your integrity. Today we're going to look at three aspects of integrity. And it's the same integrity that Jude saw in Jesus. Jesus is our example. He inspires us. In Christ in us, the hope of glory, he can help us to walk in integrity. These three aspects, we're going to start with the significance of integrity. How important is integrity in your life? How important is integrity during the week? Not just in church, but during the week when no one's watching. Let's begin in verse 3, and we'll come back to the introduction at the end. Verse 3, Jude writes this, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation that we share... I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago, they've secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. They deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, they slander celestial beings, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against the devil, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand in what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy them. Jude shares transparently what I wanted to say to you. And what I wanted to do was celebrate this new faith that you have and celebrate your salvation. That's where I thought I would go. But instead, I feel I needed to bring a different message in one of contending for the faith. Let me ask you, have you ever intended to go one direction and then God led you in a different direction? You thought your plan was over here and Jude says, I thought I'd write about this, but actually God's leading me to bring this message instead. 
You know, in my life, I was playing professional soccer, and as a goalkeeper, I thought I'd play till I was 35 or 40. I'd have a long career, sports, then maybe coach, something like that. It was not on my radar ever to be a pastor and to lead a church or to spread the gospel around the world. I was just playing soccer as a goalkeeper. But God had different plans, and he used an illness, a life-threatening illness, to redirect my plans. And sometimes in the challenges of life, God redirects us. And maybe you're in one of those seasons now where you thought life would look like that, but will you still trust God when that's not going to continue and actually he's going to guide you over here? And Jude is listening to God. It's so important to be sensitive to the Spirit, listening to God. And as he writes, God is speaking through him. He writes with a sense of urgency. It's a passion. It's very heartfelt. And what is his message in essence? Stay strong in the faith. Stay strong in the faith, in the word, in your integrity. Stay strong in the faith because there's a lot of difficult stuff happening and a lot of misleading messages. And you think back to the last, let's say, year and a half that we've been walking through. And what a fitting message to stay strong in our faith. We're in the middle of a pandemic that the numbers go up and the numbers come down and sometimes you hear some advice and then that advice changes and then you think things are going to open up and then there's restrictions and there's uncertainty and you wonder like what is going on? How long? This is much longer than we thought. And in the middle of all that noise, stay strong in your faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the message. It's timely then. It's timely today. And the, the challenge here, and it's really the why. He's going to unpack the why because so often in life, the why is more important than the how and the what. Why? Why stay strong in the faith? And in a short book, he's going to give so much content as to the why. It's important to have a solid why because this is a challenge all of us feel. It's a pull every day. There is literally a world with good and evil. Devils and demons are real. Lies are real. They want to pull us away from God. Also, there's patterns in this world. There are plans in this world. There's our priorities in this world that are different than God's. And if we just float along with whatever the world says, we drift from God a lot of times. And then internally, all of us have desires every day that are very active, that want to move away from God. And in the middle of all that, we need a solid foundation, a house on the rock, not on the sand. And why do we need to keep our integrity? Why is this so important to stand in the faith? Well, he highlights that there's some people who are kind of secretly slipping in among you. There's some people that are cunning and crafty, and they bring some teaching and some behaviors that you might end up imitating, and you could trip up in your faith, stumbling in your faith. He says, this is what the people do. They deny Jesus. They deny God's word. They give a license for immorality. They bring a message that you just do whatever you want to do. You know, have you ever heard someone say, you know you're going to heaven. Your eternity is secure. So go ahead and just do a little bit. I mean, God forgives. Go for it. No big deal. If you like that, and what ends up saying is, well, if this feels good, if I want to do that, if other people are doing that, then yes, I'm just going to indulge in that. God's forgiving. My sin will just, it'll just show his grace even more. Go ahead. Go for it. Do what you want. And that was the message that sometimes overt, sometimes covert, was getting into people's minds and hearts, and they were starting to drift and stumble and fall. And it was dangerous. And so Jude says, let's remember history. Remember Egypt. God in his power delivered the people from slavery. And as he rescued the people, was leading them to the promised land. Did they go to the promised land? 
No. Almost all of them, only two were trusting God. Out of a whole generation, only two people were trusting God. So they did circles in the wilderness. Have you ever done circles in the wilderness because you're not really trusting God and you think it's safer here? I'll just keep you know, doing my own thing here. He says, how did that work out for them when they stopped trusting God? He says, what about the angels? The angels in God's presence, in his pure presence, his holy presence, worshiping God. You know how the devil fell? It was pride. The devil was a powerful archangel who got tired of worshiping God. Why is it always about God? How come God gets all the worship and the attention? I want some of that. Why don't I elevate myself above God? The angels said, we're tired of being below God. Let's go above God. And the devil made that choice. And more angels made that choice. That's what demons are. And they fell. And now the devil, like a roaring lion, seeking to devour people, eventually he'll be thrown in the lake of fire. But he said, how did that work out for those angels when they tried to reverse the order? How does it work out for anyone when here's God and here's us, and they try to reverse it and say, here's me, and God, you serve me, you're under me. How does that work for anybody? Think through history. He says, what about cities? Cities that were designed to shine the light and the love of God. Sodom and Gomorrah. They chose sexual immorality. They just gave in to lusts. They threw away purity. How did that work out for them? The Bible says, take heed unless you fall. There's a massive group of people who fall hard morally. Their integrity shipwrecked. Many people who say, I never will. Oh, no, not me. Oh, I saw that. I won't do that. All of us could choose any sin any day. So take heed lest you fall. Stay close to Jesus. And uh, I kind of picture Jude. If Jude had kids and they were about to get their driver's license, which is a big moment for parents, right? There's a lot of trusting and letting go. I could just see Jude giving this message from his heart saying, don't do this. Don't ever ride with someone who's been drinking. And also, don't ever drive drunk. Will you agree? Don't ever do that. And his kids, because you know at 15, at least for me, I was pretty confident. I understood almost everything in the world. I mean, there was a couple little details. Okay, you might get me. But I was pretty confident at 15, like I had life figured out. And then the older you get, you just realize there's more and more you don't know. And it's kind of humbling. But at 15, I was so confident. And you might just say, well, why, Dad? This drunk driving talk, why? And Jude might say, well, you might get hurt. You could even die. And you could actually hurt someone else. And someone else could die. And when you get into that drunk driving accident, the car could be totaled and there might be damage to whatever you hit. Your insurance rate is probably going to go up and it's going to cost you a lot of money. It's going to be on your record. It might be public. You might need to go to court. You might need to go to jail. You might need a lawyer and you might be gone for a long time in prison. And wow, that's a lot to think about. There's a lot on the line. Yeah, and people might not trust you or see you the same way. There's really a lot there. And taking all that in, Jude is bringing wisdom, protecting because he loves. And you say, well, those are a bunch of, you know, possibilities, facts about drunk driving. But I know someone who died while driving drunk. And I have a friend who was killed by a drunk driver. And now it's not just some wise information. Now you know the reality and how that can play out. And Jude isn't just giving some good advice about theology and walking with God. No, he's watching people fall hard. 
and he cares and he loves. And so he's speaking up. He's bringing clarity. He says these people are like dreamers. They're out of touch with reality. They bring pollution. How did you like the air quality on Friday? <laughs> what did that look like, right? Our phones, 150, you know, warnings. Uh, these people bring spiritual pollution. There, there's some people that, and sometimes I might be well-intended, but they're bringing messages that just like you can choke on these messages. They're not good for your lungs spiritually. It's like pollution there. Uh, you go back to drunk driving. Judah's saying like there's people who are drunk spiritually and they're driving and they take people out and be aware of this. And, and then also he says they slander. If you're around someone and you just hear them slandering people all the time, don't, don't judge them. But you might want to be aware of what they're saying and where their heart is and definitely not imitate that. He says eventually they become like animals. And that's not a compliment. I know we love our animals. We love our pets. Uh, pets are a gift from the Lord. But I'll tell you, um, we are made in God's image. And it doesn't say that about the animals in the Bible. We are responsible to care for animals and lead animals well. But being called an animal, I know in our culture we say, yeah, you're an animal. And we think like, that's pretty cool. But I'll tell you here, biblically, that's not really a compliment. That you just give in to your animal instincts. You just chase whatever you want to chase. That's not a good description of our lives. And ultimately what these people are saying is that I'm not going with the word. I'm going with my opinion, my preferences, my feelings, my thoughts, my wisdom. That's what I'm going for in life. God, move out of the way. And that's the posture. And you know, Peter wrote very similar message to Jude. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, he says, uh, once... And that's actually 2 Peter, not 1 Peter. So let's do that. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, where he says, um, this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature. They despise authority. Bold and arrogant. They're not afraid to slander. They slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of God the Lord. You know, Jude refers, and we get this glimpse of this conversation, this interaction between Michael and the devil. And you might be reading that thing, you're like, what is Jude talking about? Where did he just go with that? Moses dies, Moses' body is there. There's some mystery. The devil wants Moses' body. We don't exactly know why. Does he just think he's in control? Does he want to take that body and try to mislead people and have them bow down and worship his body as an idol? We don't know. The devil wants the body of Moses. Michael, who's an archangel, faithful to God, protects in many places in the Bible. There's this dispute between the devil and Michael over Moses' body. What's Jude's point? That Michael, a powerful angel, doesn't start slandering the devil. Doesn't get into a long conversation with the devil. This is what Michael says to the devil, the Lord rebuke you. That's what he says, the Lord rebuke you. Let me make the picture this way. If you go home today, and this afternoon you're relaxing, you hear a knock on the door, the doorbell rings, and you open up the door, and it's the devil himself. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? The Bible says resist the devil. Jesus, when the devil appeared, Jesus quoted scripture. That's a good thing to do. That's a very good thing to do. Resist the devil and quote scripture. What I encourage you not to do is have a long conversation with the devil. That's not a good idea. Uh, Michael, the archangel, says 
the Lord rebuke you. In other words, if the devil knocks on your door this afternoon, you just say, Jesus, can you take care of this? Jesus, I trust you. You're greater. I trust you, Jesus. The battle is yours. I say this because sometimes I'll be praying with Christians, and we're praying, and even though we're praying to God, sometimes Christians will just start break out and say, devil this, devil you, devil this, and devil when you do that, and devil and that. And I'm like, this whole thing's been a conversation with the devil. I don't even think we talked to God yet. And, and I just encourage you to knock on, yes, you can cast out demons, and I've seen it happen. But don't go on with these long conversations about the devil, an accuser of the brethren, full of lies, Trust the Lord. The Lord rebuke you. Walk in the truth. Abide with Jesus. Guard your integrity. Resist the devil. And why? Why? Because here's the second part. There's a real threat to integrity. There's a real threat to all of our integrity as we want to live for the Lord. Take a look at verse 11. These three verses. There is more condensed in these three verses. Like, I think there's condensed milk. I don't think it tastes good. This is like condensed scripture, and it does taste good. Here we go. Verse 11. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who only feed themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. And descriptions here. Descriptions. Cain. When you read some different names in the Bible, I encourage you, get a study Bible, cross-references, dive in. What's the story? Cain, what's his story? He killed his brother. First murder in the Bible. He was comparing to his brother, jealous, selfish, hatred. That still happens in families. Jealous, selfish, hatred. And in that comparison, he ends up killing his brother. Don't go down that road of comparison and selfishness and hatred in your family. What about Balaam? That's the next name. There was a King Balak who was against the Israelites, tried to hire Balaam as a prophet to say and speak curses over the Israelites exchanging of money to curse people. Balaam represents compromise. You know, if uh, Cain is comparison, Balaam, compromise and greed, running after the money. There's a lot of people, when it comes to faith, there's a money trail, they'll run after the money and they'll compromise the word and integrity, chasing the money. That's Balaam. Well, what about Korah? When you read Korah's story, you see again that God delivered the people out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness and Korah's not happy. In a big group, Korah's not happy. There's Korah's who complain. Korah's complaint was against God primarily, but also Korah complained against leadership, complained against Moses. I don't like this Moses taking us to the promised land. I think we should go back to Egypt. Almost always there's a Korah that complains. And Korah's don't usually travel alone. Korah's don't like to stay quiet. Korah gathered 249 more people, a group of 250 people, saying, we're going back to Egypt. Korah's complain, they find each other and say, we're going back. Isn't it interesting how often when God is moving forward, there's oftentimes a pocket that says, we want to go back. We want to go back. And God says, I'm not in it. And all complaining we do is ultimately against God. Don't get on the complain train. 
When the complaint train starts rolling and there's momentum, it's really hard to stop that habit. And pretty soon, wherever setting you're in, during the week, you go to this place, I'm going to complain about that. You go over here, complain about that. You go over here, you're going to complain about that. We know what's coming. It's going to be some complaining. Because the complaint train is rolling, it's got momentum, and all complaints land against God. So you take that in, comparing, compromising, complaining. Three C's, easy to fall into these traps. And Jude says this in verse 16, these men are grumblers. They're fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves. They flatter others for their own advantage. They're working it. They know how to work the system. They know how to work people. They know how to give a timely compliment so they know what's coming back later. Say, how do you summarize it? They are grumblers and they are fault finders. Let's not be grumblers. Amen? Let's not be fault finders. Amen? Let's be part of the solution. And let's not use people for our advantage. Now, I remember as a goalkeeper, it's a unique perspective in soccer to see the whole field. And one of the main responsibilities of a goalkeeper is to size up and anticipate what's happening and to identify the threats. Okay, there's someone over here that no one sees. We need someone. Hey, Tom, move over there. You know, there's three run on the outside. We need swing left, swing left. The cross is coming in. Get up for that. I got this one. You take that. Hey, watch that guy right there. He's strong in the air. You know, that's part of the role is to identify what are the threats. And spiritually, part of your role in walking with God is to identify the threats. Where's the temptation that you usually stumble? Who's the person that's trying to pull you away from God? Where is the laziness? Where is the lie that you need to get rid of and replace it with truth? Like, where are the threats to your walk with God this week? And Jude is just coming alongside saying, I see one right there, I see one right there, and I see one right there. And we're listening to Jude, and Jude is going to give six metaphors. Yeah, six. It's like exclamation points coming in the metaphors. Here they are, very briefly. First, there's love feasts. What's a love feast? Is that Christian? Is that not Christian? It was Christian. There were great things. There was food. There was fun. There was relationships. There was friendships. And a lot of times in the Bible, they would take communion at the end of the love feast. That's not a usual practice in Scripture, but that's, I mean, in, in our rhythm, but that's what would happen. Huge meal and then take communion together. But they twisted these love feasts, and you read about it in Corinthians, where they instead got drunk, drunkenness and gluttony. That's what the love feasts turn into. Not just great family meal and then communion, but drunkenness and gluttony in the love fest. It was out of control. He says that, that's who they are. Also, they're shepherds that don't bring any food to the sheep. They don't really care about the sheep. They don't really provide any food. Also, they're clouds with no rain. And we get a lot of rain here. So this metaphor you have to explain because we're thinking like clouds with no rain, that sounds like a nice day. Did the sun come out? Um, clouds for people who need rain and water because it's drought time and they need a harvest and they need food and there's nothing growing and there's no vegetation. I'll tell you when a cloud comes on the scene, they are excited because there's hopes get up and it's like here comes the rain we've been praying for and wanting, the food we need. And the clouds come and there's no rain. There's a lot of people who say, oh, I'm spiritual, I'm spiritual, I'm enlightened, I'm spiritual. And you get around them and you realize there's no living water. And if you listen to their message, you just stay thirsty because they're clouds that don't bring rain. They're like trees with no fruit. Oh, harvest time. What kind of fruit are we going to have? Apples? 
You know, are we going to have um, plums? Like, what are we going to have? Uh, nothing. There's really no harvest here. There's, there's no fruit. Like waves that stir up the filth and the shame and the guilt. Jesus sets us free from shame and guilt. But these waves come in and they stir up the shame. And they, they're religious. And then shooting stars. Like, wow, there's a, shoot, there's a star. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? It's gone. It's gone. Just darkness. Well, well, that star, where'd it go? Wow, look at that person. Look at all their followers. Whoa, look at the bling. Look at it's trendy. It's cool. Ooh, shooting star. Let's all run after it. Wait, where did it go? Where'd it go? There was nothing there. There's nothing there anymore. We just all chased it, but there was nothing really there. And these are all the descriptions. Was it only then or is it today too? It's today too. And why is he so direct? Because things are so cunning and crafty and misleading that Jude is trying to make it as clear as possible. You know, there's a situation this week where I walked down Auburn Way and just, just outside the church and I could see, you know, this man up here at the top of the pole. And you might see that and you think, oh yeah, routine. Maybe they're checking the power, electricity. Like, what's going on? And now at this picture, you realize this isn't a normal thing. Because we're in the middle of the day and no one's traveling on Auburn Way. You know, one of the busiest sections in Auburn. And I take a step back and I see we've got a police officer and we, something happened here. And I talked to the police officer for a little while, invite him to church. I don't know if he's here this weekend or watching online. Lives up in Seattle. Good guy. But, uh, but anyways, what happened is this car hit the pole. And the car hit the pole dead on. And I asked, how's the driver? That was my first thought. How's the driver? And the police officer, you know, couldn't say much, obviously. But he said they were able to, you know, take the driver, the car, take care of things. And then uh, the power went out. The power went out. Uh, in our church, the power went out in our whole block, and people from other restaurants were coming over saying, you know, what's going on? And the repair they're trying to do, and they said that pole right there is just being held up by some of the other poles. So they said, stand back. But there was a collision. Have you ever seen someone fall morally? Have you ever seen a collision like that in terms of integrity? Where they hit that pole, and it doesn't just affect them, but it affects a lot of people. The power went out all around our neighborhood. One collision, the power out, it affected everybody. I want to tell you, your integrity is linked to spiritual power. If you think, and I think, that I don't have to walk in integrity to have spiritual power, then we're misled. We don't want the form of religion without the power. The power of God, God honors those who honor him. And so we want to abide with Jesus. We want to live lives of integrity because there's a lot on the line. There's a lot on the line. And we want to trust God. And that's what Jude brings, a heart of protection. And here's the encouragement, the victory of integrity. We're going to take a look at verses 14 and 15 as he describes his victory of integrity. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. And they're going to judge. They're going to judge everyone and convict all of the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in this ungodly way. And all of the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Ungodly is repeated four times. What does that mean? It means irreverent. 
It means, God, we're pushing you out of the way and we're going first. This is about us. That's a description right there. And then a really interesting discussion about who does Jude refer to and what text is he using? And Bible scholars dive into this, and it might be worth some of your time. Is Jude referring to Genesis 6? Is Jude referring to Enoch in the Bible? Is Jude referring to an extra-biblical book? There were books like Enoch that are not part of your 66. I want to tell you there's 66 books in the Bible. And if someone tries to tell you, no, there's 72, there's 69, just say, no thanks, I got my 66, I'm good. I'm good. There's 66 books in the Bible. There's other books. There was the Assumption of Moses. There was Enoch. Is Jude referring to those books? Or is Jude referring to this revelation that God told him something, and now he's sharing it? And throughout this book of Jude, that's a relevant question. It's worth diving into. And you can form your own convictions on that. I think it's a kind of a combination of, of those. Uh, it is fine to quote a book that's not in the Bible. The Apostle Paul does that in the book of Acts. Sometimes he quotes a saying or a truth or a, uh, something that's outside of the Bible that's solid. And other times he'll quote something in the culture to show the fallacy there. Just like in our world right now, there's a lot of truth, you know, that's outside the Bible. But there's also things we need to be very discerning about. I encourage you in all of your reading to know that this is the true source. This is our North Star. If you read something that doesn't line up with this, trust the Bible. Trust the Bible. And Jude has some different sources. But if our main application was just trying to decide which source he was using, I think we could take a lot of time and maybe even strain out the gnat and miss the camel. So, well, well, what's the camel? What's he really saying in these couple verses? Here it is. The Lord is coming. <laughs> that is more important than which text he's referring to. The Lord is coming, so contend for the faith. Do you know that word contend is an athletic word? It means striving. It means diligence. Like an athlete goes all out in a competition. Contend for the faith. And we just had the Olympics. And I want to share a picture. This is from Houston. Bryce Deadman was one of the competitors from our country, and he won two medals. And this is a picture in the airport. My sister lives in Houston and took this picture. Pretty exciting picture. Bryce Deadman returning back from the Olympics, and there's a group of people. It says, welcome home, Bryce Deadman, gold and bronze medalist. And I was watching an interview with Bryce and this is Bryce's transparent quote. He said, so many times I almost quit and gave up. Between the dream, all of the training, the endurance, the pandemic, the challenges that he faced. You know, you think of after college, pouring all that time and energy into this, is it worth it? He said, there were so many times I almost quit and gave up. Can you relate? Have you had some times maybe in your walk with God where you just thought, you know, maybe I'll just quit. Maybe I'll just give up. How do you think Bryce feels now that he didn't quit and give up? Was it so worth it for Bryce that he continued? I contacted Bryce because I get curious and I like to meet people. So I reached out to Bryce and just a humble guy. We talked this week um, just, you know, through texting. And I just asked him about his faith. He loves Jesus. And I noticed uh, on his social media there was something about praising the Lord. And here he is, you know, a, a follower of Jesus. He almost quit and gave up, but he persevered. He kept going. And because of that, 
he received a gold medal, a bronze medal, and his faith, there's a platform there with his faith as well. And I want us to see that picture as an encouragement because Bryce, as he returned to Houston in the airport, there was a welcoming team, and he said, this felt so good to come home and see that banner and see those people. But I want to tell you, the Lord will return. And if you feel like quitting or giving up when it comes to serving God, please don't. Please continue. Let's persevere because ultimately this is what's going to happen. We're going to see Jesus. The king is going to return. And there's not just going to be Jesus, but angels and people in heaven. It won't be a small group with a little banner in heaven. But you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So press on. What a calling that God has served us so well, loved us so well. What an honor to serve Jesus. And look at, we get to the introduction, which is our ending. This is what Jude writes. Jude, a servant of Jesus and a brother of James. Humble, secure, joyful. Secure and serving. Secure with God, serving other people. That's the story of his life. He says, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Called, loved, and kept. Called, loved, and kept. Let's say that in the count of three. One, two, three. Called, loved, and kept. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are called, loved, and kept. That's a good truth. That's a good place to be. That's what God says. He says, mercy, peace, and love to yours. It's in abundance. Our God doesn't run out. He's got mercy and peace and love. And as we uh, wrap up, you might think, well, what does it look like to serve God? And once again, Peter parallels it and describes this picture. He says this as an encouragement. 1 Peter 3.13, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ is Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have and do this with gentleness and respect. Did you catch that? That's like Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning. You get out of bed in the morning. Maybe it feels a little slow. You're tired. Your body's sore. You're maybe starting to think about coffee. Think about the job. Maybe you're still looking for a job right now. Maybe you're in a job you don't like that much. Maybe there's some people that you're just hoping you don't see that day. Maybe there's some challenges. Your to-do list is long. You get up in the morning. These realities are all around. But you say, I'm going to make a decision. Like Eugene said, I'm going to choose to worship God. So what do you do? You say, I'm going to set apart Christ as Lord. Jesus, come into my day and my heart right now and be the Lord of my life. Come fill me, Holy Spirit. I want to walk through this day with you. And then what's the fruit of that? Eager to do good, ready to tell people about the hope that's so real in Jesus. With respect, but with boldness. Isn't that a great way to live? Isn't that a great way to wake up in the morning and say, this day is a gift from the Lord. God, I've got challenges everywhere. I got 99 problems, but I'm going to say this, Jesus, be the Lord of my life today. And now as you fill me with the Holy Spirit, I am eager to do good. I'm ready to say a word, a timely word in season for someone who needs it. What's it going to be today? God, how are you going to change lives? Let's go. Let's go. And that's the posture. That's it. 
That's it. You know, um, what is Christian maturity? Isn't it good to have an end goal? Wouldn't it be good to know kind of what the finish line is or what we're aiming for? What is Christian maturity? Sometimes I hear people say, oh, it's age-related. You either have to be kind of older or you have to know Jesus for a really long time. It's maturity is kind of age-dependent. And uh, I think it is great to walk with God for lots of years, but I don't think age is the main thing about maturity. And then some people will say it's Bible knowledge. If you are mature, it's all about Bible knowledge. And I would say it is very important to know the Bible. It's great to grow in our knowledge of Scripture. Absolutely. But I don't think age and Bible knowledge are the two main things when it comes to Christian maturity. Uh, the Pharisees, they were older than a lot of the fishermen Jesus chose. <laughs> and their Bible knowledge, they would run circles around the fishermen Jesus chose. So those are good to walk with God for a long time or to have Bible knowledge, but I don't think those are the two things with Christian maturity. So what is Christian maturity? What are we going for? I mean, we don't want to spend our lives trying to climb a ladder that's the wrong ladder, right? Like, what are we going for? This is what Jude describes as Christian maturity. It's to be like Jesus. Amen. It's your character. It's to be like Christ. That's Christian maturity. And here's the second thing we see in Jude as we continue next week. It's to make disciples. It's people who make disciples with the love of Jesus. That's Christian maturity. And I just want to make sure we're not chasing after something that can't come for 40 years because it's age-related or some big Bible quiz that's the maturity test. But instead, we want to be more like Jesus and we want to reach this world with the love of Jesus and make disciples. And that's what Jesus calls us to, that picture of maturity. And I'll tell you, we won't get there if Jesus is just in the passenger seat of our car, if he's in the back seat of our car, or the trunk of our car. You know the trunk of your car? It's like Jesus is still here technically, but it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, the back seat, like Jesus chime in every once in a while with some wisdom, but I'm driving. Or, or the passenger seat, like, Jesus, I'm glad you're close because when I really need you to take the wheel once a week, you can grab it real quick because you're right here. That's not it. But instead, I'll tell you, control is an idol. And if you want to control your life, um, pushing Jesus out of the way is the recipe for hypocrisy and duplicity. But if you push away the idol of control, you let Jesus lead, you're going to come alive. You're, you're never going to have more joy and come to life. Like when Jesus is leading, we are made to follow and not lead Jesus. We are not made to tell Jesus what we want and how he should serve us. We are made to honor and love the Lord. And the irony, the paradox, is that's when we come alive. And we use our gifts and we love other people. And it is so rich and fulfilling. Let's pray. God, we pray that you continue to flip some of our paradigms that you would change. Some of the things we hear in the world that we would not give up when we're discouraged, but we would unite, we would listen to you. And Father, forgive us. Forgive us, God. It's easy to complain. It's easy to be a fault finder. It's easy to have the idol of control. It's easy to just be stuck in the wilderness. Father, we slow down today to listen to you. 
Thank you for a direct book like Jude. And Father, speak into our lives. Jesus, with sincerity, we want to be more like you. And we can't do that with just a bunch of self-help effort. So we seek you together, Jesus. And Jesus, we don't want to live in fear and isolation, but we want to make a difference together in Auburn, in the Sound, in the nations. And we ask you to lead us. And we pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.